Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 54 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and on this episode, we are doing something a little different. As you may know, the vast majority of our guests are people who are currently in the running for an Oscar, an Emmy, or a Tony. But occasionally, we have on someone who is not campaigning for anything, but who is so interesting and special that we can't resist the opportunity to talk to them. I like to call these our classics episodes, and this is one of them. Our guest today is Anna Karina, the legendary actress who was married to Jean-Luc Godard from 1961 to 1967 and became an integral part of the French New Wave as his muse in seven and a half films during that time. 1960's The Little Soldier, 1961's A Woman is a Woman, 1962's My Life to Live, 1964's Band of Outsiders, 1965's Piero Le Fou and Alphaville, 1966's Made in USA, and the 1966 short The Oldest Profession. She's also worked with many of the other greats, including Jacques Rivette in 1966's The Nun, which some regard as her finest performance, Lucino Visconti in 1967's The Stranger, Volker Schlondorf in 1968's Man on Horseback, George Cukor in 1969's Justine, Tony Richardson in 1969's Laughter in the Dark, and Rainer Werner Fassbender in 1976's Chinese Roulette. She's also directed 1972's Viva Ensemble and 2008's Victoria, She's made cameos, including in Jonathan Demme's 2002 film The Truth About Charlie, and she has inspired many an homage, including Uma Thurman's hairstyle in Pulp Fiction. She's a favorite of Tarantino, who also named his production company A Band Apart after Band of Outsiders. Now 75, Karina is still a great beauty who attracts everyone's attention whenever she walks into a room, as I saw firsthand at the TCM Classic Film Festival in April, when she attended a screening of Band of Outsiders, courtesy of Rialto Pictures. It was a rare visit by her to the U.S., and therefore one on which I had to pick her brain. Fortunately, she agreed to sit down with me, and as you'll hear, during our conversation she opened up about her rocky youth in Denmark, how she met and fell in love with Jean-Luc Godard, why their marriage was so rocky to the extent that she even at one point attempted to take her own life, scenes of hers that will live on forever, like running through the Louvre and dancing in a cafe in Band of Outsiders, her thoughts on Godard's most recent work, and her own outlook for the future. It's not every day you get to sit down with a living legend of cinema, but this was one such day, and I hope you enjoy the privilege as much as I did. Let's go to the conversation. 
first of all, thank you so much for doing this. It's a great honor to speak with you, and I love so much of your work and reading about you and preparing for this. So I know a lot of the answers to the questions I'm going to ask you, but I know our <laughs> listeners may not. So I've got to ask you to begin with, for instance, where were you born and raised? I was born in Denmark, in Copenhagen. Yes. Yes, long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and tell me about your time in Copenhagen before you left for Paris. Well, I was, uh, you know, a kind of little girl with no father. My father was a captain, and there was a war and all that, the Second World War, and, and so I never saw him very much, not very much, only one time when I was five years old, and uh, so I was kind of... My mother would like to work, so she was working for a guy called uh, Rasmussen, and uh, she was never there, so I was a little a girl, you know, alone, alone, with the key around the neck, not to lose it, mm. and, and uh, with really nobody. I got my granddad to take care of me in the beginning, I was brought up by my granddad and my grandmother, but she died when I was four. So I would live with my mother, and of course, she had new friends and all that, so it became a little bit complicated. And they called me, his name was Benny Hansen, by the way, and my mother said, well, I, will, I she divorced with my father, father, my real father called Bayer, and he recognized me, by the way. Mm. He was the captain. And then she said, okay, I don't want to marry somebody called Hansen because Hansen is very common, you know. And she thought that was not a good name and you've got to change your name. So uh, he called himself Black. He bought the name, by the way. Mm -hmm. And so in school, I was called Hanne Black. And I said, I'm not really Hanny Black, because my real name is Han Karin Bayer. But uh, there was nothing to do, so everybody started to call me Hanny Black. Mm -hmm. And after a while, they divorced too, so she fell in love with his best friend. Oh, and she said he was called Holger Hansen also. <laughs> and she said, I, can't, I don't want to marry you. I don't want to be called Hansen. No. You've got to change your name. And he uh, kind of bought his mother's name called Timan. She was German, you know. And it was still a bit complicated because to tell somebody, a little girl, you have to call yourself Black. You it's not your real no. name, you know. <laughs> but so, I got used to it, you know. So many people know me as Hanny Black in, in Denmark. <laughs> I believe you dropped out of school at 14. That's right. And wound up as an extra in a lot of Danish movies. How did that begin? You wanted to be an actress? Yeah, I always wanted to be a kind of... I thought being an actress, maybe that's too much, you know. But being an aventurier, adventurous, you yes. know. You know, going, you know, on the streets, singing, <laughs> dancing, and all that. So that's okay. And do right, that, you right. know, because being an actress is you no. Know, it was, uh, I had to be 21 to go to actor school at that time, you know. And since I was a little girl, I wanted to dance, and you know, I was dancing around, singing <laughs> around. I knew all the American songs, you know. <laughs> yeah, I swear it's true. You know, Judy Garland, and <laughs> everybody, you know, like Doris Day and. Uh, and you're getting and so, this so. work as an extra, and, and even once in yeah. a short that did pretty well, right? First, I became a girl in a, in a lift, 
I was the lift girl, you know. At that time, oh, you like had an elevator to, girl. Yeah, 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 elevator girl. Yeah, the elevator girl yeah. in a big magazine called uh, Funnensberg, and uh, it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> and uh, then I was fourteen, you know, and then I was uh, like in grey, you know, and all that. Just very, very. It looked terrible. <laughs> and anyway, there was all the old guys who would, you know, touch me and all that. I didn't like it, you know. So after a while, I didn't go there to the yeah. to the elevator anymore, without telling my mother, of course. So I was just running around, you know, until seven o'clock at night, coming home. And one day, my mother said, "Okay," she was there for once, and she said, "How did it go?" I said, "Well, just you know, the, the normal thing, you know, <laughs> going up and down, <laughs> first floor, you know, things for women, <laughs> and the second floor for men, right. and so on, so." You're lying, she said, and I was. Yes, <laughs> you didn't go because I just got a letter from the director of the magazine saying that you were not there since three weeks. Right. Said, oh. So of course I got a big slap, <laughs> and uh, so I said, but I don't want to do this, you know. I had to go back to say I was sorry and all that, but that I didn't do my job and, uh, and he said but what do you want to do in life the director said I said well I want to be an actress <laughs> so he said you must be crazy and uh, you know I was fired anyway so I had to do something I was 14 right and uh, so I had a little talent for drawing you know things like that and uh, that was in the newspaper a painter asking, you know, he wanted two girls to help him with the, you know, with the drawing and for the paper, and it was called Gemet, uh, that means the house. Uh huh. Uh -huh. So I sent it a clown because I always wanted to be a clown. That's two. I mean, right. And I got engaged with another girl called Vinnie, you know, and he said after a while, well. You, you did good, you know. It was illustration, you know, because he was a painter. But for the money, he did that for this uh, magazine. And he said, then, okay, because I got very little money, you know, like 50 kuron, Danish mm -hmm. kuron, by month. That was, I couldn't even take the, the tram or no. anything, you know. So now, how did these first opportunities arise, you know, for acting? Well, he knew a lot of people, you know, in the cinema too. So he said, if you go to see us, maybe you can do some kind of uh, stuff. So among the extra parts that you started to get was a project that went to Cannes, is that correct? Well, after a while, of course... Yeah, after a while, um, yeah, we're still 14 and a half now. And, and then somebody in the streets, a very strange guy like that, uh, asked me if I wanted to do a little movie. And I said, well, you have to ask my mother because I, I thought, maybe he thought that I was a little bit older, I don't know. And his name was Ipsmedes, but he was a very serious person. So we went to see my mother, asking if I could do this little court-métrage, uh, a short film, you know. And uh, it was about a, a girl, it's called the, the Girl with the Shoes. A P. Mescone in French, La Fille I wanted to do it, of course. It's a very cute little short yeah. film. 
And uh, so I did it, and I got money for it too, you know, a thousand uh, couronne, and uh, I was very proud. But nothing really happened about that at that time. So it was like if I did nothing. But I got a lot of small extra job because of the painter. He said, you can never stand still. You should do it like an actress, you know. But of course it was small, very small parts. Like, But I became my A extra. <laughs> that was A, B, and C. You, you were see? the top one. <laughs> yeah, because I could sing and right, dance right. a little bit like this and, you know. But, of course, it was in very bad Danish film at that time. <laughs> they were really cut over the ocean, you know, never over the mountain seas and nowhere. So, uh, after a while, I, I did a little bit of modeling too, you know. And uh, then suddenly I was 17, and so I had trouble at home because of this new love of my mother, you yes. know. I called uh, Hulk <laughs> Hansen, who became Hulk Timmer, you know. And uh, it was not a good relationship between the two of us. The only one I really had a good relationship with was my granddad, mm -hmm. you know, because my grandmother died, as I told you before. So it was because uh, of this bad relationship yeah, that you decided to he, leave? Yeah. Brought me luck in a way, too, you know. Even he hitted me a lot and all that. He'd been hitting me and all that. That's why, I, you know, I went to sleep at the, in my grandfather's apartment. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a little place for me, just a little, you know, mm -hmm. like a little sofa. You know. mm -hmm. And then I left. And, uh, you know, it's very funny because when you're so young, you're not afraid. You're not afraid, really. I was not afraid because of, I was brought up that way that... Uh, I was not afraid of nothing, you know, because I was always by myself and I had to always, my mother never made a dinner or anything, you know, so I was kind of always alone. You yeah. know? So it wasn't of course different. I went to eat somewhere else always because I was always invited to my girlfriend's houses because I would do a little cleaning for the mother mm -hmm. or go and buy in or something like that. I was not afraid, so I went to, I liked Paris very you, much. And you had visited before? Yeah, with my, my, my first stepfather, young called Blanc, and my mother, and in Paris, and I said to myself, Jesus Christ, one day <laughs> I would come here, I would, I would live in Paris. Right. Not before, because of the Eiffel Tower, but because of, you know, the cafes, the life, you know, the people and, uh, you know, I, I really liked that since I was a little girl. I knew all the songs of Edith Piaf and all, you know, lots of songs like that. So now at 17, you hitchhike, you get there, and what are you going to do? You have very little money, you don't know no, anybody? I have very little money. The only money I had was from my granddad who gave me, you know, a hundred. A couronne is not, it was not very much at no. that time, you know. But so I said, where, where can I sleep, you know? So I went to the church, it's behind the Champs-Élysées, uh -huh. and uh, I said, maybe, you know, the, the priest can give me a little bed somewhere, you know, and maybe I can sleep in the church or something like that. And of course the priest said, you must be out of your mind, little girl, because that's, that's totally impossible, you know? 
you cannot uh, sleep in the church, you cannot sleep in at my home, you know, you're on age. What do you think? But he found me a little place in a district, uh, Rue Pavé, it was in the fourth. I'm not sure about the, the l'arrondissement, but Rue Pavé, and I got this little room, and, and next day I was walking. I only had one black dress, you know, and high heels, like kind of white. It looks terrible, you know, but it was high heels like that. So I went around and I come to a district called Saint-Germain-des-Prés. And I said, well, I feel well here. I like the people. They look, I look the same, I mean, in my little head, like that naive. I said, that's great. I like this district. So I sit down and pay myself a little cafe, you know. And a woman come near to me. She was called uh, Catherine Ale, and she said, "You want to do some pictures?" And I said, "Oh, what kind of pictures? <laughs> you know, I hope it's what's what, what's that about?" And he said, "No, no, no, it's fashion pictures." He talked English to me because that I couldn't speak French at that time. And I said, well, my grand had said, don't speak too strange, you know, but I was a stranger in the city, of course. And then I said, well, what kind of pictures? They said, oh, these fashion pictures, you know, would come with everything. And I said, yes, but you have to come with a lot of people. And uh, if not, I will not do it. And she kind of started to laugh, you know, I said, a lot of people, what for? Because in my little mind, you know, at that time, I said to myself, if there's a lot of people, well, nothing can happen because there will always be one to defend me if right. something happened, you know, who would have this be, you know. But of course, she came with a lot of photographers and a dress, you know, makeup, hairdresser, and I don't know what, you know, at least 15 people to do the photos. And that was the beginning of quite a that lot of modeling, and I think that involved your name change, was, yeah, right? that's true, yes, because, of course, she couldn't pay me right away because she said, I can't pay you before the pictures are published, you know. So she said, but I can give you the pictures and I can give you some addresses. That's what she did. So I went to see Hélène Lazareff, who was the directrice of Le Journal Elle. So I came with my pictures and all that. She said, okay, yes, well, we still have to see if it really works. She said, so maybe we should do a test, like a photo test, you know. I said, okay, so of course they cut my hair, they made it lighter, and I then put makeup on and all that, and gave me this yellow dress, you know, and kind of a little manteau. And, and in the makeup room came a lady suddenly. She really looked very well. I guess she was at least uh, 66 or mm -hmm. 67, maybe. And she said, okay, she was listening what I was saying to the makeup lady because we were talking in English. And she said, oh, I understood you want to be an actress. I said, yes, but you know, it's, I don't speak French yet and it's going to be difficult, but I, I want to learn. I want to make money to, to take lessons and to learn it, you know. She said, yes, but what's your name? So I say, Hankarin Bayer, because that's what I might pass, you know. And she said, Han Karin Bayer. She said, that's no good. You gotta call yourself Anna Karina. 
<laughs> I said, man, that sounds great, you know. And she said that in a very military way, you know, like it was a naughty, you know, you gotta call yourself like that. And that was that. And then she left, and I never saw her again, you know, with a big hat, her cigar, you right. know. Coco Chanel, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but she, she was very, yeah, like. So some of the ads and things that you were doing at that time, I believe one of them was a video advertisement of Palmolive. Is that Palmolive, right? Palmolive. Palmolive and uh, also Montsevon. Right, you were playing. My soap and uh, Palmolive. <laughs> so, which, which these days and, would uh, have One lasted. of the things, <laughs> on Elysees at that time, we have a lot of publicity before the films, you know. Right. On one side of Champs Elysees, there was Palmolive. On the other side, Montsevon. And you were working and for And I Palmolive. was saying, selling the two shows, <laughs> <laughs> I prefer Palmolive on the, on the other side. My soap is not like the others, you know, <laughs> in French. Well, but fortunately, <laughs> the, the Palm Olive is the one that led to a very important meeting, right? Yeah. Can you tell, how did this first meeting with Jean-Luc Godard? Oh, no, that was, yeah, because he saw me, of course, in one of the soap films. I don't know if it was Palm Olive or Montsavon, <laughs> but anyway, he saw me, so I got... A kind of telegram, because at that time we had telegrams, you know, there was no phones like smartphones and all that. So I go to see him in the office and he said, yeah, okay, yeah, it's okay. He said, it's for a small part and, uh, well, the girl is taking her clothes off. And I said, what? I'm not taking my clothes off. I said that in English. And he said, well... So I said, so I went away. I said, I don't want to do it, you know. It was for a small part in Pressless with Gene Seabag and Jean-Paul Belmont. This was, was to be his first film. That was his first film, yes. yeah. yeah. So you go away, and I believe a year goes by. No, no, Not no, even about three, four months. Three, four months. Oh, yeah, because it was very quick at that time, you know. Yeah. In between, he just shot the film very quickly, and they did it, and it came up about it three, four months later, you know, and I got another telegram and uh, from Jean-Luc Godard still, and I say, this time it might be for the first part, the lead part, the woman lead part. <gasps> and then I show it to my friends because I got friends at that mm -hmm. time. I said, this is a joke that somebody, you know, just want to, you know, have fun with me or something like that. And they said, no, Jean-Luc Godard is a very serious person, you know. And uh, he just did a film with one of our friends called Jean-Paul Belmondo. And it, he did it with Jean-Paul and Gene Seberg. And uh, it, everybody says it's not out yet in the movie houses, but they said it's absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. So I said, oh, yeah, you've got to go and see him. So I go back and say, well, I was very nervous because, of course, the first time, you know, I was saying, no, I don't want to do it. And I left. And so he, I recognized him again with the dark glasses and all that in the office. And uh, so I got very nervous. I looked at Jean-Luc with the dark glasses, you know, because nobody at that time would wear that kind of uh, dark glasses, you know. And, uh, and I said, Jesus Christ. So I said... Do I have to take my clothes off? <laughs> and he said, no, no, no. He said, no, of course not. He said, it's a political film. I said, what? A political film? But, huh, I, I don't know nothing about 
politic and I could never do that and make a speech. He said, don't worry about it. You just have to do what I tell you to do. I said, yes, but you know, what again? He said, come tomorrow and sign your contract. I said, yes, but what again? What's the matter with you? I said, I can't come and sign. I'm under age. You know, you had to be 21 at that time, you know. And I never signed anything before anyway, because I guess that most people thought I was 21, right. you know, but I wasn't. And he said, oh, la, 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 la. You're so complicated, <laughs> said to me. I said, no, but I'm not 21. What can I do about it? He said, you come with your mother. I said, yes, but no, I can't. You come with your father, he said. Well, I don't know my father. <laughs> I said, my real father, of course. Mm -hmm. I said, so, where is your mother? I said, she's in Copenhagen. Phone your mother, she said. Okay, I got no phone. What am I come, how am I going to do? Because I haven't spoke to my mother since about close to one year. Mm -hmm. So, he said, there's a phone in the office. So I phoned my mother, I said, Mommy, yeah, I'm sorry, but you know, this is very important. I have to be a star in a political film, <laughs> French film. She said, what? A political film? You must be out of your mind. Are you, it's, are you taking me forward? I she hangs up, you know. So I phoned again and said, Mom, Mom, it's really, really true, you know. I mean, I'm, it's true, you have to come to Paris and sign the contract, <laughs> and you have to take the plane because you have to come tomorrow. She said, me taking the plane? I've never taken a plane in my life before. I don't want to take a plane. <laughs> I said, please do it, if not, because I cannot sign myself. I'm under age, you know. So she finally came. And, and that was the, the beginning. Yeah. So the, this first movie, The Little Soldier... Yeah, of course, it was a political film, and nobody really understood in the beginning what, was, what right. it was about, because there was no script, you know, and always for Jean-Luc, there was no script. It, and, yes, yes. And wasn't it during this... So we fell in love, of course, yeah. Well, the story of, of that is kind of amazing, right? I mean, just that you had a boyfriend at the time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So how did he manage to maneuver around that? Yeah, it was very, very strange. And, of course, it was very sad for my boyfriend called Gislain. You saw, he was much older than me, too. But uh, he was there, and we were invited in Lausanne. We were shooting in uh, Genova. I don't know how he's saying Geneva. Yeah, Geneva, yeah. Yeah, yeah Geneva. And uh, it's not very far, Lausanne, but he was invited to a kind of a dinner party, mm -hmm. you know. Everybody, the whole crew. And uh, we're sitting in front, with Jean-Luc was sitting in front of me, and my boyfriend, Gisela Dussard, was sitting there. And suddenly, you know, in the end of the dinner, I feel something on the table, you know, like somebody who wants to give me something. And I knew it was Jean-Luc because it didn't come from there, mm -hmm. it was from another place. And it's a piece of paper. And I take the piece of paper like this, and I think it's very strange because he's been looking at me since, you know, the beginning of the shooting of the film. And me too, it was like, you know, we're turning around like this and all. Always looking at you. Yeah, very, very, very special, very mysterious in a way. And I take the piece of paper, it was written, Je vous aime, I love you. Uh, we meet at uh, 12 o'clock at night, 
in the Café La Paix. Café the Peace, we call this café. And so Jean-Luc, he leaves, take his car and go back to Geneva, where we're shooting, right? But we're still in Lausanne, we have to go back too, right? And my boyfriend said, give me the paper. I said, no, no, I can't, you know, I was totally, you know, in another world. And he said, let me see that piece of paper. He gave you something, I know. So he he kind of takes the paper and reads, of course, the word, you know. I love you. We meet tonight at 12 o'clock. <laughs> it's totally crazy, it sounds like, you know. <laughs> and I was very, you know, out of... I didn't know who I was anymore, you know, mm -hmm. because there was something going on between us, you know, that you can't explain when it's, when it's like that. And nobody wanted to do the first uh, step, but that just happened with the word now. Because I would never have dared to make the first step, you know. But that was the end of your boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, so the... we go back by car, yeah. and I did my little suitcase, you know, and I took the suitcase, like in totally in another world, you know. I, I swear, I, it was not like uh, something I thought about, though, yeah. It's like I was totally in another world. And he was running after me, you know. It was so sad, really. But that was the beginning of this... Uh... And then I came to the Café de la Paix, to the café, which is a very famous place, by the way. And he was sitting there reading a paper, like this, and you I think he did it on purpose, you know. Mm -hmm. And it, I stand in front of this paper, for, I guess, for at least two or three minutes, it sounded. I thought it took at least one hour, but maybe it was only, you know, two or three minutes. And suddenly he looked at me, and he said, here you are. Let's go. And that was the beginning. That was the beginning. That's an amazing story. It's it's like out of a movie. It was, you know, it was like something you don't explain. It was because the little soldier took a lot more time than most of his films. Because it was like he would stop and then begin again, you know. And he, he would look at me all the time, you know, behind his dark glasses, you know. So it took and, longer because he wanted he to was, be with you. I was like hypnotized. Yeah, yeah. Know? Well, and a lot of people think The Little Soldier was your first movie. It was the first one that you made, but the first one that most people saw... Was the, the Little Commissar. Yeah, right? Yeah. So what I wonder is, that movie, A Woman is a Woman, couldn't have been any more different from what yeah, he had done before. Sure. Because in between, I did a, a film with uh, Michel Deville called Tonight or Never. Yes. Uh, yes, a comedy. And Jean-Luc would say every day, he would take me to the set, you know. He was shooting in Paris, in uh, Biancourt, and uh, they said, you know, it was all inside an apartment, you know, only one set. Mm -hmm. And he would take me there every day, and every day he would say, how are you going to say this this text? How are you going to say the words? You would never be able to play that kind of shit. And he was really, you know, trying to get me to... And I said, I love it, I love it, it's a comedy, you know, it's so... It's really funny, and I like to do it. And he said, you could never do that. It's going to be ridiculous. And, and I said, no, no, no. So finally he saw the film in the end. And uh, 
he said, wow, I really like to do so that. Now he had to do one for you. And then he said, would you like to do a woman as a woman? And he saw <laughs> all the actresses in Paris before me, you know, right. before, yeah. <laughs> and for people who are listening, uh, a woman is a woman, it's about this striptease artist desperate to have a baby and you become yeah. pregnant during the movie yeah, that's true yes. so i wonder you know clearly your relationship was growing with him during this time let me ask you just about the way he worked he worked very quickly right i had read that most of that his that was very quick yes very but quick. The, the one of the longest was really the first one the second of his of course but, but usually it was something no, like three weeks sometimes three yeah. weeks and a hundred thousand dollars he worked very low budget right yeah, very low. Is it true that you were never given full scripts in advance? Never. We but never it, had a script. But that didn't mean that you guys were improvising, right? No, no, no. We had to say the dialogue. We got it just before shooting, yes. Mm -hmm. And we had to learn it, so we, you know, we rehearsed a lot, you know. We called that Fedis Italian. Right. This Italian. Right. To know the world. So. <laughs> and then we rehearsed because it's a lot of movements in the film, you know. So we kind of got the time to rehearse. Yes. No. Now, A Woman is a Woman was a very big deal for you because at the Berlin Film Festival... Yeah, I got the prize. You got yeah, the prize. So still on the age. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so now all of a sudden you're much more famous and respected. Yeah. How did you feel about that? Oh, I thought it was like a gift, you know, from heaven. I must say in my life... In my actor life, I got a lot of gifts, you know, really. The uh, chance to work with great directors and, and great parts. And Jean-Luc, of course, was most important for me, too, because he was my husband. And, and I lost the baby. Yeah, and and that, that was a tragedy, you know, and that really, really broke me into pieces. Because at that time there was nothing they could do about seeing all what's going on inside. And it was, you know, it was, I was in pain and they said, just lay down and ma'am is gonna be okay. Mm -hmm. And you're overdoing it. I said, I'm not. I can feel something bad is going, is going wrong, you know. And they said, no, no, you're, because I lost it very late, mm -hmm. you know, but of course. I had a kind of nervous breakdown. Yeah. yeah. And I know that you have said that it was really the movie Band of Outsiders that sort of saved yeah. your life. Why was that? How did that save you? Well, because I tried to make suicide and things <laughs> like that. You know, I was in a very bad shape, really. And so when you came out of the so hospital... I came out, yeah, he took me out of the hospital. He said, just shooting after tomorrow. We have to look for some places. And I said, well... Maybe I should play, you know, a girl a little bit naive, you know, a little bit disturbed, you know, but not crazy. So in between those two movies, you had also done My Life to Live, which, again, for listeners, the story of an aspiring actress who turns to prostitution. And you have the same haircut in that one that Louise Brooks had in Pandora's oh, Box. Viva Seville, yes. So was that yeah, deliberate? Well, it started with very, a very long hair like that. Yeah. And very black and then little by little it, right. with uh, that very famous hairdresser at that time called Alexandre sure. it was cut like and it became very short yes. the scene in that movie that I think people talk about the most to this day is the one 
in the cafe, right, where you oh, we, are sharing we, we, your we, philosophy. We, we, please back on it. Yes. The philosopher, yeah. Was that a special one to you? Oh, yeah. Everybody loved Brice Parham, yeah. He was absolutely somebody who, you, you know, you could only love, you know. He was really a great person, right. yeah. And I, I, I like to talk to him. But, of course, Jean-Luc was very smart about this because I would never have dared to ask Brice Parrain questions or no, like. So what he did was he sat in front of Brice Parrain at the beginning and uh, he kind of talked to him like that. And after then, he would put the camera and make me sit at his and say, write the dialogues for me. So I would ask the question to Brice Parrain, who was filled, you know, before, right. and then he would make him, you know, so it looks like if it's just yeah. improvised, but it's not at all. <laughs> it's so very thought over. Believe me. Very funny. Another, we're talking about iconic scenes. When we talk about Band of Outsiders, first, there's certainly the dancing and the snapping the fingers. Yeah, that's the Madison. The Madison. Madison. I know that Dard was not big on rehearsal, but on oh, that we one, rehearsed you must have rehearsed. Lot. Yes. Oh, yeah, I never said that we didn't rehearse. We rehearsed for three weeks. After the shooting, every night we'd go to, at 8 o'clock, we'd go to a, to a nightclub that was not open because in France it doesn't open before 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And rehearse for one hour the Madison because the two actors, Claude Brasseur and Sammy Frey, didn't know how to dance. <laughs> and we had to be together because, and with a chorus, of course, of, uh, a dance is uh, like a very... You know, a choreographer who was there to say how to do it and all that. Well, that was a great one. And then the other one that everybody always, I think, talks about is running through the Louvre. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that he didn't have no permission to do that at all. And they're really running after us for good, you know. That, <laughs> That's yeah. hilarious. And they were furious. <laughs> but... <laughs> I don't know how Jordi got out of it out without of paying a lot of money because that's <laughs> totally forbidden, you know. Now, after Band of Outsiders, you two divorced, but you continued to work together. No, no, we kind of separated, but oh, we were separated. not divorced until uh, 66 or 67. Okay, so mm. as your marriage had these different turns, you know, when you were separated or you were divorced, but you continued to work together, did your relationship as professionals change as well? Was it different working with him on movies? Well, you know, I'm very... When the director's always right for me, Uh even if he goes wrong. Well, I go wrong with him because he's a director. It's his work, and if not, I should not accept it. So therefore, I have no problem with working with... Different guys like George Cugo or Visconti was totally the opposite of Jean-Luc and uh, with other directors, Vadim and uh, yeah. Fassbinder and I don't know who else. Uh, yeah, Zolini, uh, you know, Buzzati, you know, we get a lot around. Is it true that yeah. you have said, I've heard that your favorite or certainly one of your favorites of the eight movies that you and Godard did was Piero Le Fou. 
Well, sometimes it's purely food, <laughs> and sometimes it depends because I like them all. That's so different. That was a fun one, though, right? It was a you're on an island off by yeah, right. Just we thought we were gonna be very really bored on that island, and we laughed so much. You know, sometimes when you think it's gonna be a bore, then it's really funny. You know, this island we had great fun with Balmondo too, right? Yes. So, do you feel like the story of you and Godard was sometimes told in the films that you guys did together. I mean, Alphaville is obviously set in the future. It's about totally different things, but the things that may have bothered him about you or vice versa, did those make it into the scripts? You know, like there's this thing where your character has this hard time saying, I love you, right? Do you feel like that was that about your own marriage, which was coming apart at that time? I don't know how to. Little by little, you know, Jean-Luc was very difficult to live with because he would, you know, he would go away and would say, I'm gonna go and buy some cigarettes, you know. The Boya Maislai is a terrible yellow cigarette. It stinks worse <laughs> than everything you, th- you can think about. And he would say, I'll come right back and then he will not come back for three weeks, you know without giving you any news, you know, leaving you a little bit of money or something like that at that time, you know. Inconsiderate, it, yeah. it's, it's difficult to live for a long, long time with somebody like that, even if you love him more than than anybody else, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, after, well, you know, he would say, I invite you to the Côte d'Azur, La Côte d'Azur in south of France. I know you, you, you need a little rest and all that, and we go, and it's going to be beautiful, you'll see. And, you know, we take the roads. There was no freeway at that time. Mm-hmm. We take the road, you know, the national road, and, uh, and after 200 kilometers, he would say, you know, no, you know, I can't go to La Côte d'Azur. I'm so sorry, but you gotta go back. I gotta talk to Francois Truffaut, you know. I got a lot of things to tell, you know. I've gotta work, and you know, it's a nightmare for me. So I said, okay, Jean-Luc, you gotta go, go, let's go back to Paris, okay. And then about 50 kilometers from Paris, he would say, Oh, I can see you're very disappointed. You really want to go to the Côte d'Azur. I said, yeah, well, I'm disappointed, but if you have to work, I can understand too, you know. He said, no, 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 you really look disappointed. Let's go to La Côte d'Azur, <laughs> since you want it. I said, but I didn't ask for anything, you know. You told me that you liked it. <laughs> so we go back, you right. know. We had to, it's a long way, by the way, that uh, time. Sure. And so, like, 300 kilometers later, he said, I don't understand, you don't understand that I have to work and I want to see François Truffaut because we had lots of things to tell it. I said, yes, okay, okay, let's go back to Paris, okay, okay, okay. Of course, I I used to sing you always in the car, you'd be very happy. Of course, I'm not very happy yeah. anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, you know, yeah. I'm really bored now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm close to being very angry. Right. Because this is too much. You know? <laughs> so we go back and he said, you are so angry. I didn't say a word. Yeah. You know? 
I can feel it, and that's unfair that you're like that. I said, stop the car, stop the car, no, you stop the car. So we stopped the car and started to, to, to kick the car, you know, with my, with my shoes, and I hurt my leg, and, and everything was like, like that. I'm laughing now, but at that time, it was not funny. Everything was like that. She would go all the time away for weeks, and he would come back. I would... Sometimes he was going to Italy to see Rossellini, sometimes to Sweden to see Bergman, and he would go to New York to see Faulkner, and I don't know who, I would always know where he has been because I could see what he brought back, you know, like it's written somewhere. Well, the last time you guys worked together on a feature was made in USA, then you did a short Afterwards, the oldest profession. Yeah, yeah. Seven and a half. We did. Seven and a half, exactly. Yeah. Not eight and a half. Not eight. <laughs> exactly. Did you sense that it was going to be the end? That you were. Yeah. Because that was always the end. Yes. Because it, you know, it's been too much fuss around. Yeah. yeah. What do you think of the work that he's done since? Do you still see his movies? Yeah, but, well, well, I don't really understand it, so I don't want to talk about that. Sure, They're, they are I more guess, abstract. Yeah, maybe, I guess that some people really like it too, mm -hmm. but it's not really my cup of tea right now. As you look back, how do you think you influenced him, and how do you think he influenced you? Big picture. It's very difficult to say because there was something with Jean-Luc that you would understand or not understand, you see. It's the same thing with everybody, with Raoul Coutard, who was, for me, one of the greatest uh, cameramen in the world. But they would never really talk, and still they would understand each other, you see. And same thing, I never saw Jean-Luc really directed an actor, you know, but it was like, when it really works, the actor understood what jean because of the dialogues, but it, I don't know, there was something, he didn't have to explain it, you know. Like, most of the time, like, the system with the actors, why do we have to go and sit down there? Why do we have to move to the window? Why do we have to look uh, uh, like this? Why do we have to do that? It was more that there was a kind of understanding that I can't explain in sure. a way. Are you two in touch today? If he were to call you today and say... Oh, I'd say hello, Jean-Luc, of course. No, but I mean, if he were to say, let's do one more movie... Why not? You would do it? Yes, sure. That would be great. And but then, that won't happen. Why not? Because it's a, I'm the old story. I'm, you know, What's that? That's the old story. Oh, the old story. For young people today who ask you, who maybe were not around when these movies came out and don't know what the new wave was. They may not even know that they know about it because they've seen Tarantino's homages and things, but if somebody said to you, what was the new wave? How would you explain it? I guess it was uh, young directors who didn't want it to depend on this old system where you had to find a lot of money to do a film. So I said, well, 
you know, we write our own scripts and we'll try to do it with little money so we don't depend on, the, you know, the producer saying, no, you have to do this like that and so and so and so. Because even Jean-Luc, when he didn't write this, he never wrote the script, by the way, huh? uh, or for fun, or he would give it away. Or, but he always, sometimes he had to, to tell somebody to write anything he wanted down because the distributor wanted the script, you see, but he would never even read it, you know. We had no script. No script. Well, the last question is this. When you see your films today, like here at this festival and around town this weekend, showing, I know, Band of Outsiders tonight, their Woman is a Woman last night, what goes through your mind when you watch yourself in these movies that you know are going to be around when all of us are gone? You've made something that's really changed cinema and the world and how does that feel that feels great but you know we didn't even think about that long time ago i mean you know we just did it because we wanted to do it and thought it was fun but now we understand that so many years later young people between 15 and 35 you know it's incredible i mean all over the world, because I go a lot of around, you know, I've been to, even in South Korea, and Japan, or you, I get, went to Australia, or to Italy, lately, and to Switzerland, and to London, and here I am here. I saw the public yesterday, only youngsters, I mean, you know. It's uh, immortality. It's, it's so touching, you know. Yeah. And I could be their grandmother. You know? <laughs> well, they should be so lucky. Yeah. That would be cool. And they would, you know, some countries they want to play ball and all that. And they come here and they take me to the airport. You know, they skip school because they're too young, you know. It's really so fantastic. I mean, so many years later, you can only be really honored and, and grateful. And it's so full of love, you know. It's... It's really fantastic. Well, I cannot I thank you it. enough. I so appreciate it. It's great to, great privilege to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you to you. And thanks to all the guys who's, who's listening to this. <laughs> to this me. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.